Where were you when the world stopped turning on that September day? This is uh, September 11, 2001, Roundtable. Matt Lautner coming to you live from Adel, Iowa on a Wednesday night, June 22nd. We uh, put out the September 11, 2001 podcast, just a rebroadcast from the Today Show some 21 years ago, just short of 21 years ago, uh, and had a lot of feedback from it today. We're going to make the publicity post for that deal and this show tomorrow. Uh, we just released the Will Epperly, the 2022 World Champion Auctioneer. Uh, I mean, I guess I just didn't want to crowd Will's show with uh, this 9-11 discussion. 9-11 means a little bit different to everyone that experienced it. But it's part of our historical record. What more needs to be said? Then we're going to share some of our personal experiences here on the show tonight and have a discussion, and we'll see where it takes us. So to start off the show, I just got a few bullet points from that day, September 11, 2001, that I'm going to read. Now, my personal story is I attended January 6, 2021 in Washington, D.C., and I came up from North Carolina. I flew in and... I didn't have a mask on, and that's a whole other story in its own. I got kicked off of a flight in Charlotte, North Carolina. Ended up <laughs> having to rent a car, 9 p.m., and uh, drive through the night. I got into D.C. about 2.33 in the morning. That really doesn't have anything to do with what we're about to talk about. I guess what it does have to do with what we're going to talk about is I got to drive by the Pentagon. And the Pentagon, I had to actually look this up on Google Maps, is three aeronautical miles away from the White House. So as that third plane entered the uh, airspace of Washington, D.C. in northern Virginia there in Arlington, I mean, I, I don't know if it would have changed how history remembers it, but they very easily could have veered just a little bit north and, and hit the White House that day or the Washington Monument or the National Capitol. And that would be crazy. It's simply crazy enough that they hit the Pentagon after successfully commandeering two airplanes and crashing into the World Trade Center Twin Towers as well, as well as the plane going down over Western PA. So here's a few um, bullet points from that day, just so everybody that is non-familiar. I mean, not everyone is 25 or 30 years old or older, so not everybody experienced like this panel has tonight. So just to refresh anyone's memory, we encourage you to get on to your search engines and do more research. Get on YouTube, watch the videos. It's not fun to watch, but it needs watch because it's it's like watching Pearl Harbor, a real insurrection in terms of this is a just a terrible day in human history that will live in infamy, just like Mr. FDR said back about Pearl Harbor. Nearly 3,000 people were killed on 9-11. A bombing in February of 1993 in the basement of the World Trade Center Twin Towers killed six people. So this was the second attack on the World Trade Center Twin Towers. On any given workday in the two towers, over 50,000 employees worked in the two 100-plus story buildings. After 9-11, the rescue, recovery, and cleanup of the 1.8 million tons of debris and wreckage took nine months. To this day, uh, 
A memorial has been set up in New York City where the Twin Towers once stood. I know that Val has a personal story about that, but uh, show, Big Show uh, executive producer Kevin Mears said that his papa went to the World uh, Trade Center Twin Towers and witnessed it and had a very emotional experience just standing there knowing that all those people lost their lives on that day right where he was standing at ground zero. The attack resulted in the largest loss of life on American soil by a foreign adversary. Uh, in the debris and the wreckage, 18 people were rescued alive in the World Trade Center Twin Towers rubble. Uh, it was common that asthma and other respiratory diseases plagued the first responders and those who survived through the accident, uh, not the accident, but the wreckage. And in 2019, the Senate passed a bill to compensate victims and first responders. It was a, a recurring fund forever. They would never have to go back to Congress and ask for more money. There's always going to be money there to take care of the, the victims of the 9-11 uh, attacks across all sites. Those are my bullet points. Um, just to introduce everybody to the audience, Burke Holby, say hello. Hello. Val Reese from uh, Western Kansas, Colorado border, say hello, please. Hello. Michael Walker from Western Minnesota, say hello, please. Hello to you all. Uh, Bert, go ahead and get us started. Um, so one thing you might not know is my dad um, actually lives in D.C. And uh, he travels a lot for his job. And so... In saying that, one of the points that I found out when I was looking, um, going over everything, that to this day, only 60% of the victims have been identified to this day, 60%. So there's 40% of people still unclaimed of all those thousands. And I remember thinking that day, where is my dad? Um, and if you remember, like, phones were down. You couldn't, I mean, getting a hold of anybody because everybody was in mass hysteria. Not only were airlines shut down, but terms of communication were down. And I could not find my dad or my stepmother. Um, and I just remember just thinking to myself, how, how is this world like that? How do we, this is possible, this is what it is. It turns out my dad had been on a work trip, and my my stepmother uh, at the time was in remission from cancer, and his work trip was in San Francisco. So he had taken her with him uh, on that trip to San Francisco, and they were in San Francisco when this happened. So they ended up sending three weeks in San Francisco, still not getting an airplane, and had to get a rental car and drive mm. from California back to D.C. Mm. Um, How long was air traffic control down after 9-11? Does anyone have a rough estimate? I, I, I want to say it was a couple of weeks. Um, I know they I, were I might be a little long. Open, I doubt many people wanted to fly after that. Just an awful, I mean, just such a terrible and impactful day from many different levels, I guess. But uh, that's pretty incredible that your uh, parents were out on the West Coast when that happened. 
Well, actually, uh, for Christmas, my dad decided to take us to New York next December. And we mm. flew to New York in December. It was open in December, and we actually went to the site. Um, they, I remember ha- they had, like, robots and policemen everywhere. There was these, these robots, sort of look like robo-sweepers, um, just patrolling, patrolling the street everywhere, just, I guess, uh, trying to detect um, radiation or whatnot. But they had the chain link fence up, and you could just see this huge hole um, because, I mean, it was only a couple months after, so they hadn't done much. And all the le- – it, it was a very – I mean, there was lots of people, but it was quiet. There's no good way to enter this one into the conversation, but, uh, Michael, you had refreshed my memory. Uh, you actually went to – you're in the same class as me back there at Jefferson Scranton Peyton Shredan Community Schools, and and you had said that in the seventh grade or sixth grade, somewhere in that time frame, I brought some video footage in from the Oklahoma City bombings. My dad had uh, had uh, some business down in Oklahoma right after – Tim McVeigh's deal where I think 169 people perished at the Alfred P. Murrow building in Oklahoma City. And we, it was, it was nighttime footage. We just stopped while we were passing through. And, uh, those would be the two major terrorist events from my childhood. And, uh, yeah, I guess there's really no point to me telling that other than uh, you said that Burke said that she uh, visited 9/11 a couple months after it happened, and actually visited the Murrah Federal Building um, just a day or two after the uh, Oklahoma City bombings, I guess. So, Michael Walker from Western Minnesota, let's hear your personal story. Yeah, I I can jump in here. Um, so I was a sophomore in college at uh, Iowa State. And had a tendency not to wake up early uh, by any stretch, especially when I had a 10 a.m. class. Uh, for whatever reason, I woke up um, and uh, early and turned on the TV shortly after the first tower had been hit. Um, and proceeded to watch, and it was interesting, Matt, on the, the Today Show footage that you were playing. I that's what I was watching as it was all happening. So uh, you talked about having some flashbacks uh, for sure was going on. Um, I remember the second plane hitting, and at that point, I did the only thing I knew what to do as a sophomore in college, and I went and cracked a beer um, for the simple fact I didn't know what else to do. Um, I think uh, through that footage, the comment were under attack was stated, and uh, I I didn't know what what to do about that. Uh, the Oklahoma City bombing, like you said, Matt, we were younger and didn't really gain appreciation for what truly happened there until I got older. But I I sure knew what the hell this meant, and. Uh, my roommates at the time all kind of started coming out of the rooms. Um, we proceeded to watch everything. Went to class and um, 
had to ride the bus in. For whatever reason, there was still a plane up in Ames and heard it. And uh, I almost hit the deck as it flew over and rode the bus into campus and still remember um, by the Animal Science Building and the Horticulture Building, there's a fellow walking down uh, the street with an American flag draped over his shoulders. Yeah, I, I went to class. I went home. I skipped the rest of the class. And I was one of those people that sat glued to the TV for, I, I swear it was like two weeks. I mean, I went to class and different things but and work. But if I was at home, I was watching it. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I uh, to this to this day, I remember that day, just clear, clear as a bell, because it was, you knew it was different. I mean, it is one of those events that, like, our parents uh, lived through JFK getting assassinated, and they knew exactly where they were at at the point that it happened. Uh, I was talking to Dennis Dendell from Illinois earlier today, a, a farmer, and he said he he knew where in which field he was at, uh, in which direction he was going, in what location in that field, the the time his wife called him to tell him what had happened that morning, and his experience was he didn't it didn't fully set in until he got home that evening and see, seen some of the uh, video footage on the evening news. So, I mean, uh, it's just like I say similar to JFK's assassination in terms of uh, just a moment in time that you'll always remember. I'll probably tell my story after Val uh, gives some of his feedback. So, Val, you go ahead. Well, I'm a little bit older than y'all. So, you know, at that time, I had my sons, Dakota and Garrett, were 11 and 8. And, you know, I had the good fortune at that time to live in one of the most remote parts of America, you know, in a very sparse densely or sparsely populated area and you know a lot of people may share that because this kind of is somewhat of a cattle podcast that's a lot of your listeners i imagine and uh, us that lived in a very rural population we didn't necessarily have we we could maybe not be quite as nervous that day and you didn't have to look to the sky and be in fear out there in western kansas no uh no it it just is what it is but uh also yeah. To uh, your boys who were 11 and 8 or whatever you said, Val, I mean, imaginations yeah. can race, yeah. and, they, and they just simply don't know what's going on. So please tell this story. It's very yeah. intriguing to me. Yeah, that 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 evening at, at supper time, we had a large discussion about if they were safe, you know, and if those people would try, those bad people would try to get us. You know, and and we kind of explained to them that, you know, and we we identified the areas, you know, like NORAD, the the fence center is out by Colorado Springs. And, you know, we talked about, you know, how far Colorado Springs is. And so they would have, if they were going to try to hit near us, that they would miss any possible target by over 200 miles. And those, the bad people's plans were to hurt a lot of people and so 
hitting in our area would not. But I, it, it never dawned on me like that whole day. I, I, I guess I wasn't terribly worried for my own personal safety, but my sons were. And I had never worried as a kid for my own personal safety. And I think their generation thinks differently than I do because they truly had a justified worry at their age to be scared of. Just as a point of reference, Val Reese lives five minutes uh, east of the Colorado border, about 45 minutes south of I-70 in uh, far western Kansas. So that just gives people a reference. I mean, honestly, there's not probably a town over the size of 5,000 within maybe 100 miles or so. I'm not trying to overstate it or understate it, but it's just a remote area. 120, Yeah. yeah. Sure. So that, that just tells you how much I know about you, Val. Another thing that Dennis Zindel told me that I think is very profound, uh, whenever he was growing up in the 1960s, he must have been fresh out of high school, like getting drafted into the Army and having to go serve in Vietnam was a fear. And uh, previous to that, polio or tuberculosis were things that young men would have to worry about getting because they hadn't come up with the science in the 1930s and 40s to to cure those things that could kill you at a young age. Anyways, he just said this 9-11 deal was a shocker to younger people because that might have been the first, with the advance of technology and science, just the first thing that happened to them that they thought, their humanity might be called into question about, you know, kids' kids' uh, minds can race. And I think another point about you, Val, is your boys have grown up to be awfully successful business people. Uh, I mean, I was 20 years old when this happened, but uh, just all ages, no matter if you were four or five years old and barely old enough to remember it or if you were whatever age you were when it happened, Val, it was just truly a jarring and impactful day or morning, afternoon, and evening, and it carried on for weeks and months. And it didn't really end for 11 or 12 years no. whenever they finally uh, well, got Osama bin Laden 11 years one, later. One thing you brought up earlier that I've – we're in a rural enough community that our senior class always gets to go on a week-long trip, and Dakota's yep. class – instead of going to Florida or San Diego or and hit a beach, they went to nine one or to New York City and the biggest reason was that class wanted to go to ground zero. And that that truly I mean that's that was I thought that was really quite a thing that his class did, but it truly they were eleven years old when it happened and they didn't and but it hit them enough that they chose to skip beaches in March, getting out of our blizzards, and skip beaches to go see Ground Zero. I know that I haven't been to uh, the World Trade Center since this. I I did visit the summer of my seventh grade year. My mom took me to to uh, the Smithsonian in Washington D.C. and uh, JFK's Eternal Flame grave at Arlington National Cemetery. And we toured New York City for one day, so I would have seen uh, the World Trade Centers, but I was just so young that I couldn't bring it all in. And yeah, I don't know what more can be said. I'll just let you guys file in here for a minute, and we'll see if there's anything else we need to review. 
Um, another point I came across and just saying this, because you were talking about how, I mean, we'd never, there'd never been a, a larger attack on American soil than the World Trade Center. Uh, for fact, the stock market actually closed for four days after it, which had never been done since uh, the Great Depression. I mean, our world literally shut down. Yeah, I was just going to oh, say, if, if you think about all the things that came out of there, um, it wasn't more than six weeks later that we went into Afghanistan, starting the search for Osama. Like you said, Matt, it took us 10 years before we finally located them. Um, other things that came out of this, the modern incident ma command structure that is used on all emergencies today came out of the tragedy of the towers. Um, yep. And you think about a generation, uh, generations of individuals that um, were inspired to serve and ultimately uh, some unfortunately gave gave it all uh because of that and there was there was some folks that uh from our high school um that ultimately paid the ultimate sacrifice and and when you look at the timing of of when they chose to to join it all coincides back to when 911 occurred was Ben Carmen one of those uh Michael yeah um if i remember correctly Matt uh he uh, lost his life in the Iraq conflict um, in not Afghanistan, but I could be mistaken. I haven't done any of the research in terms of the politics deal, but, I mean, I've seen, like, Fahrenheit 9-11, and they used 9-11 uh, as a – I'm just going to say what the movie said. I'm not trying to be political here. But they used 9-11 as an excuse to go into both Iraq and I Afghanistan. So, I mean, Ben's loss of life would be directly tied to this deal. I mean, I have no idea if he planned to enlist or not, but uh, it did happen. I have a, a, a show cattle friend from northwest Iowa <clears throat> whose son also <clears throat> unfortunately passed away during uh, service in Iraq. And I mean, war is an awful thing, and I just can't imagine going through world wars or anything that vietnam or anything that happened before us because just i mean wars war is an awful thing but uh anyways before this like thinking of like pearl harbor and our history and we always learned about things that happened with pearl harbor and the attacks and and the bomb like kids on the or the west coast learning the bomb drills and everything like that and we grew up with that and then we actually lived through it with 9-11, um, and there was no, I mean, there wasn't a war going on that we knew of. This was a terrorist attack, um, mm -hmm. and we all felt the effects of that. I was a senior in high school when it happened, um, and when I listened to the podcast today, I listened to it with my two boys, and one of the things they were, Mom, what was that like? You mean you like you lived through that, and you got to think about it. That was 20 years ago, and to me, it feels like it happened last year. Um, you never forget. I mean, Alan Jackson, where were you when the world stopped turning? And 
now you think of yourself, I mean, going through those history lessons, and it's a, it's a history lesson now. It's not an actual event you lived through. It's a history le- lesson to this generation, and they really have no idea yeah. how to wrap our head around what we actually went through. Executive producer Kevin Mears uh, is down in Louisville tonight at the National Main and Jew and Key Junior Nationals, and he said he listened to the sh- to the uh, Today Show rebroadcast on the way down, and he was riding with his son, and his his uh, five or six year old son had a lot of questions for him as they drove. And I mean, from that standpoint, hopefully the younger generation uh, is sparked to just do their own research and just look into it a little bit more because it's just <clears throat> like World War II and Revolutionary War. It's just a, a day that needs uh, remembered for eternity. I mean, just in terms of impact and, and learning from the past to correct the future. Well, and the difference between 9-11 and, let's say, Pearl Harbor or the Oklahoma City thing is that in a way 9-11 could be somewhat repeatable. We still fly jets every day. We, You know, it's not, I mean, we put in all sorts of ways to make airports safer and all of that, but it's not just totally inconceivable that that could happen again. And so there's still a little bit, I don't like flying, just and I think most of America that was from Matt's age on up, or my son's age on up, has that in the back of their mind, that it's not 100% impossible that something similar could happen again. Yeah. yeah, if you're 20 or 25 years old or lower, you're probably grew up in an era that you didn't realize you didn't always have to go through taking your shoes off and your belt and all your change. Uh, and that's just... It all res- it's all a uh, product of 9/11 in terms of having to take your shoes off and go through the the human body scanner. <clears throat> and 50 years ago, I mean, I I don't remember this, but there used to be ashtrays in airplanes. How about that? I mean, yeah. modern air travel <laughs> sure changed. <laughs> modern air travel sure changed a lot over the last 50 years. But get real meals too. <laughs> That's right. So thank you, Matt, for doing this. You betcha. Yep. I appreciate you guys taking time out of your busy schedules to come on here for a few minutes. And um, we're probably going to be doing just one or two more of these deals. Uh, have a couple of contacts from the Shakesville, Pennsylvania area that were <clears throat> probably 20 or 18 and uh, 25 to 30 years old. Two separate people might be trying to get them on the next day or two to just tell about the human impact of how living so close to the Shanksville, Pennsylvania, the fourth plane that didn't reach its target. Flight 93, that was brought down by the passengers rushing the cockpit and uh, probably saving, I mean, I have heard the Washington uh, Monument or the Capitol or the White House was the fourth plane's objective. And those heroes took, took down the plane. They perished, but they saved countless of people wherever that plane was headed well thank you mike thank you val and thank you burke and uh like i say we'll be doing one or two more of these groups but uh this first one's been just 
a blessing in terms of discussion, and I hope everybody that's listening has uh, come away with some more knowledge about that day. Just to end the podcast, my own personal story was I'm, I'm similar to Mike. I was at Iowa State my sophomore year. I slept in also. Uh, it was a Tuesday. I must have stayed up too late on a Monday studying maybe. Uh, probably not. But uh, I, I guess I uh, <laughs> I was on the eight or ninth floor of a 10-floor building uh, called the Towers in Iowa State University. I think those facilities, those dorms have come down since then. But uh, I was woken up by somebody on my floor running down the hall. The door was closed, and I could hear him saying, we're under attack. Everybody get out of the building. And we all hustled up, got down to the ground floor, and basically watched the coverage that entire day. So uh, that is my personal story about that day back then. So thank you guys very much, and uh, we'll be in touch. All right. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Where were you when the world stopped turning on that September day? Were you in the yard with your wife and children or working on some stage in L.A.? Did you stand there in shock at the sight of that black smoke rising against that blue sky? Did you shout out in anger and fear for your Did you just sit down and cry? Did you weep for the children who lost their dear loved ones Pray for the ones who don't know? Did you rejoice for the people who walked from the rubble And sobbed for the ones left below? Did you burst out with pride for the red, white, and blue And the heroes who died just doing what they do Did you look up to heaven for some kind of answer And look at yourself and what really matters I'm just a singer of simple songs I'm not a real political man I watch CNN but I'm not sure I can tell you The difference in Iraq and Iran But I know Jesus and I talk to God And I remember this from when I was young Faith, hope, and love are some good things He gave us And the greatest is love Where were you?